Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3. Before we begin, we're going to go ahead and pray. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God, you are. You are holy, and yet we are able to approach you through prayer, through the work of your Son. God, we do not take this for granted, God. And you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And so it's to your word that we come. Spiritual beggars, having nothing. God, we come groveling to you. Our sin and our brokenness. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would make known yourself to us, God. We could have anything in the world, but without you, God, we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. So be with us in this hour. Make yourself known to us through your word. Amen. Our text this morning again is First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. We're going to begin here in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience was waiting for them in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few... That is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So, with this passage, where are we going in this, this, this sermon here? The main idea that I want you to take home is that when you suffer, not if you suffer, no conditional, it's when you suffer, you will be vindicated. When you suffer, you will be vindicated. So how do we see that here? Well, in verse 18, we see God's faithfulness to Christ. He's put to death in the flesh, but he is raised. So we see that God's faithfulness to Christ, verses 19 through 20. We see God's faithfulness to Noah. He's placed in the ark and he's delivered from the judgment that is to come. And then in verses 21 and 22, we see God's faithfulness to you as well. So we can rest assured in God's providence and what he's doing, that he will carry us through this. And this, this, this sermon is the, the perfect way, the, the perfect means by which we can look and see how do you approach a difficult text? How do you approach a difficult text? So look at verse 18, and it's marvelous. You, you have Christ, and you have Him suffering for our sins, and you have Him dying and being raised. If you can't teach or preach, verse 18, do not teach or do not preach. This is just, it's like being handed to you. Here you go. 
Here you go. Well, then things get a little bit complicated in, in verse 19, and the wheels start coming off quite quickly. And he, so you have him now going and proclaiming to the spirits who are in prison. And if you can somehow manage and navigate through yourself through that, you see you, in verse 20, you're, the rules are not only off, but now you're tumbling down the ditch and everything's falling apart. And then you land in verse 21 and 22 on this pod of baptism. And you wonder, what in the world is possibly happening here? So in this... When this is happening, you, you, you see how Peter, in one stroke of the pen, he's brought us from Christ and him being crucified and raised to, to Noah and some spirits in prison and the ark and whatever that has to do, and then to baptism. And so when, you, when you're really close in these verses and they're not making any sense, what do you do? You just kind of take a step back and look. And see, whereas Peter started, look in the verses before, and you you don't know what's going on in these verses, admittedly. Verse 18 is pretty good. 19 and on, it gets quite muddy. And then just look in chapter 4, verse 1, where he lands. And so, we constrain our interpretation from where he's taken off and where he's landing. Because Peter is he's writing a letter, not to confuse us, but to be read in these churches, to encourage them. And so if it's some mysterious thing that's to never be understood, it's of no use whatsoever. But no, he's writing, and he's writing it to these churches that they might be encouraged, and they won't be encouraged unless they understand it. So when we're, when we're doing this, again, look at where he's taken off, look at the verse before, where is, is he gone, and where is he going? And trust and, and that this is a, a complete thought, and so the verse is in between here will be constrained by, by those two ends. So, just kind of look and, and where, he, where he's gone beforehand. And you see that Peter is writing this, this, this letter that is brought to these various churches to encourage them and show them how they are to live in this world. So they're a new creation. And they're a new creation and they must see how they are to live in this world as a new, as a new people. So he, he gives them a new identity. You see in chapter 1, verse 1. What are they called? They're called resident aliens. This is what he's calling them. And then chapter 2, he's calling them aliens and strangers. They're just traveling through this world. And so you see that what Peter is showing them is that God's relationship with them has changed. It's changed quite drastically. Formerly, they, they were in their sin. They loved it. They were, we were children of wrath that were destined to be perished. And, and when we were born the first time, we were born spiritually dead. And we needed to be born again. Born spiritually. But now we have been born again. And we've been brought to a living hope. And awaiting an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So we see Peter showing us the way that God relates to us is changed drastically. Thus, therefore, the way that we relate to the world has changed as well. So they, we realize that this water that we loved, and we liked the taste, we realize that it's poisoned. In our, in our rebellion against God, we have brought in this great love for the world. And all of the early chapters of our own biographies are filled with darkness. Chapters that we would want nobody to read. And actions that we can't even bring to our tongues to think about are the very things we used to delight in. 
that would bring us joy, envy, slander, lust. It was just a way of life. But now, we, this, this sweet water has become bitter, and we, we've turned away from our sin. And rather than being joined with the world, we, we are now joined with one another. And rather than partaking in the things of the world, no, we're being built, Peter's telling them. You're being built into a spiritual house where God will dwell and you live with one another. And so rather than slandering our neighbors, no, we do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, we bless. For to this we have been called. So, Peter's showing them the way that God relates to you has changed. The way you relate to the world has changed. But what we often neglect to realize is that the way the world relates to us, that has changed as well. Everything has been turned upside down. And for some reason we expect this to, to maintain and to be the same. That formerly the world it would welcome us with open arms and it would draw us in. Well, we were one of them. But us leaving the world is an indictment against the world and their actions. So these arms that once welcomed us are now the hands that beat us. We've condemned them by leaving them. And they take notice. And they respond in the only way possible. They respond in the way we did when we were a part of the world. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. How would they be constrained by love like we are? They can't. They can do no other. So, in the midst of all of this, how can we trust that we will be vindicated when we see the way the world now relates to us has changed drastically? How do we know that we will be vindicated? Turn your eyes to Christ. Turn your eyes to Christ. So go back to verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Christ here, as Peter is holding us, holding Christ before us, as the perfect example of patient suffering. And one of the great lies that, that Satan will have before, for us, as we're suffering, is that you are alone. You think that others have never walked the path that we have. Never been abused, taken advantage of the way that we have. They've never been abandoned the way that we have. We think that we're alone in that we've never been, others have never been forsaken by their parents the way that we have. But you can know that you are not alone in the midst of your suffering, but that Christ is right there. And he's right there with you. So in Christ, we see that he is the, the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords, and he's not just the one who is perfect, but he has set the standard for perfection. He's the one who has offered the whole world while he was going through this great temptation with Satan. But he gave it all up so that he could die and take our sins. This one in whom we live and move and have our being. The man who has never sinned in his anger. The one who has never thought of himself in front of other people. 
This very man has come and suffered and died for our sins. And you see this, it's not just abstract, you see in verse 18, for Christ also suffered. You see how Peter is quickly tying the sufferings of Christ into the sufferings that the people of God will have in this world. He came to suffer. But he did not, you see in the text, he did not come to suffer anything because he had done wrong, but no, he came to suffer for our sins and to redeem us. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 1. He said, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Christ is the propitiation for our sin. That is, He is the appeasement for His sin. He has taken the penalty for our sins. That the wrath of God could be satisfied in Christ upon the cross. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And finally, the author of Hebrews writes that we have been sanctified through the offering, through the giving up, through the sacrifice, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all. So if you think that you are suffering without any cause, you think that you've done nothing wrong and yet the world is reviling you, look to Christ. He was the righteous one, and yet he suffered. So you see that he who knew no sin is the one who suffered for those who knew no righteousness. And he suffered with the focus upon others. And he didn't suffer that he himself would be brought back to God. But no, he suffered so that we, the people of God, might be brought back to God as well. So we see with our main idea, remember, when you suffer, not if, but when you suffer, You will be vindicated and you will be vindicated by God. And here is the vindication of Christ that is coming up. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What more do you want? He's dead. But now he's alive. Truly vindicated. Brought home back to the Father. So in the midst of your suffering redemption, do not grow weary. Christ was not free from suffering. Our Lord, our King, the one in whom we worship and adore, He was not free from suffering. Why would we expect that in our own lives? So the first thing we must do is to embrace our identity as sojourners and strangers in this world, in this land. My uh, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, August Tonic, came from northern Germany and settled on the family farm in western Minnesota. He expected a life of hardship and toil. And that is exactly what he had. He was still in this world, but he was in a strange land. Same thing with us. We have a new identity. And now everything around us is still the same. Still the same shops, still the same relationships, still the same people around us, but everything is different. Do not be surprised as though we are, when we are strangers from, in the, from this world, that we will have suffering in this world as well. But in the midst of this, don't become despairing. Don't think that this is only happening to you. 
No, 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 this has happened to Christ. And continue to look to Him, for He has been raised, and you too will be vindicated as well. So, alright, so we, we have Christ, this, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. God has been faithful to Him and to redeem Him. But how can we trust that He will be faithful to His people? Well, for that, let's go back to the text. And you look at Noah as an example. We'll just start in verse 18 again and go back down. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the Spirit. In which, that is, in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight people, were brought safely through the water. Admittedly, as we talked about, there's a multitude of ways we can interpret this. And you can read any commentary you want to find any interpretation of, the, of this verse that you want. So why it's especially essential, like we talked about, to see where Peter has come and to see where he's going. So we've talked about how our relationship with God's relationship with us has changed. Our relationship with the world has thus changed as well, and because of that, the relationship of the world has changed with us. That's beforehand. How do we relate to the world in the midst of this suffering? And where we see on the on the back end here in chapter four, chapter four, verse one, right after these verses here is. Peter picks it up and he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So he's still in this whole context of how to, to live out your faith in this world, in the midst of suffering, with Christ as your example. So with, these are then your, your two guardrails so when you're looking at these difficult passages. You don't want to go veering off this way or this way or up there or down over there. Just keep it between the ditches. Please. Keep it between the ditches of the context, the verses before and the verses after. We'll do our best here. So, when we look at these verses, we see that the Spirit, it is the Spirit of Christ. Remember, He was made alive in the Spirit, in which, that's referring back to the Spirit. So, the, the Spirit of Christ is making Himself made known, is proclaiming through Noah. And this makes sense. If you go to Chapter 1, verse 11, you see that it is the Spirit of Christ that is speaking through the prophets as well. So, it's, it fits within our context of, of Christ speaking to the people who would not repent. And in fact, they, they crucify Him. So, he, in the same way, Spirit, Christ is speaking through Noah to a people who do not repent. The whole world, minus eight, do not repent. And so you think we live in trying times now. We'll go back and read Moses' account of this flood. And you see that the wickedness of men, Genesis chapter 6, the wickedness of men was so great on the earth that every thought of his heart was only continually evil. So for a hundred years, just shy perhaps, but nearly a hundred years, Noah is building this ark. And telling them, you guys need to repent. The wrath of God is going to come and wash all the evil away from this world. And you know the people, what are they doing? They're mocking him. 
They're mocking him. You know, where's all the gopher wood? I don't know. No one's still taking it all. Where's my gopher wood? No one. I told you he's taking. He's still building that earth. Yes. Right. Right. Well, he's still telling us. Yeah, this water is going to come from the sky. Oh, watch out, everybody. Water is going to come from the sky. And we need to repent. Ah, come on. He's been saying that since my dad was a kid. I know, but he's still saying it. Ah, this man's crazy. He used to be one of us, but now he's, he's different. He's entirely different. So you see, we know in, in 2 Peter chapter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He's not just a carpenter who's building a big box that's going to be seaworthy and flapping you know, pitch on the inside and the outside to make sure it doesn't sink. No, the whole time he's calling them to repent. And you would be naive to think that he didn't suffer for this. But God's patience waited for them in these days of Noah to repent and to turn from their sin. So the Spirit of Christ is preaching through Noah. And he's proclaiming to these spirits in prison that that's, they're imprisoned in their own bodies, in their own sin, in their own lust, the way that we were when we followed the prince of the power of the air. We could do no other. Sin, yes. I'll take a double portion. We could do no other. Until the Spirit of God is in us. That is prison. But in the end of this, nearly a hundred years of preaching righteousness and seeing nothing but being reviled, what does he have? What's his trophy? After a hundred years of ministry, is that eight people, eight people, only his family, were saved and brought safely through the water. So Noah, though he had to wait and wait and wait and wait and suffer and suffer and continue proclaiming the message of God's righteousness that will be coming to this world of sin, though he did that, he was entirely vindicated. He's preaching for a hundred years with this massive ark that he's building, with the, the best visual aid in the history of the world is this massive ark in the middle of the desert. And I've never seen water. Just bubbling up out of the ground. But no, here's this massive boat in the middle of the desert. And that's he's saying, no, you better get in there. You better come and be encapsulated in someone else. And brought safely through the waters of judgment. Because you cannot do it in and of yourself. And he, again, he was reviled the whole time. But he was vindicated. He was vindicated by God. So we must learn from Noah. How could we not? He's a preacher of righteousness for all of this time. And he had endurance. Redemption, have endurance in your message. Here is Noah preaching Christ crucified. They cannot save themselves, but they must be brought safely through someone else. And that is our message to the world as well, is that we cannot be saved but through Christ and Christ alone. 
So, we have Christ, a righteous man who suffers because of his message. He's going out in his first message, his first sermon is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this message, it'll get you killed 2,000 years ago, and this same message will get you reviled, and it will get you killed today. But God was faithful to him. And though he was put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. So we see God vindicating Jesus. And then we, we see God vindicating also Noah, who is preaching the message of hope through someone else, that we will be carried safely through the waters of judgment. Oh, how easy it is. That's, that's how you feel. Feel as though you're drowning in your sorrow, in your sin. There's only one way to be saved through that, and it is through Christ. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. It would have been how depressing if Peter would have just left it right there. But no, he's not just faithful to his only begotten son, he's faithful to his adopted sons and daughters as well. So let's go on in verses twenty and or twenty one and twenty two, and let's see how this relates to us as well. Baptism, which which corresponds to this, meaning that the flood and the ark and everything like that. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So just as Noah was saved through the ark, baptism is the means by which you are secure. And I can, as a Baptist and a proud Baptist, I can actually thank Martin Luther for my, my great understanding of, of baptism. It was through reading his works that you see it, it, the, the light started coming off because he's making the point that no, baptism starts in the creation account. And you see this, this out of the chaotic waters of judgment on day three, God creates land and land comes coming up out of the ground. And what do you see? You see life coming out of the judgment, the waters of judgment. And we'll go through this quickly. And then you see Noah, which we talked about. Baptism, waters of judgment, being brought safely through the waters. And then you have the Exodus as well. God's judgment coming down and flooding out Pharaoh and his army. But God's people are brought safely through the waters. Not around it. No, no. Brought safely through the waters. Same thing with you, redemption. If you repent, if you turn from your sins, if you've been baptized, what you have is a picture of going down into the waters of judgment and being saved, being brought up, being made alive, being made new through Christ and through Christ alone. So to bring it back to the context of this letter, what Peter is telling them, when you are suffering, Know that you will be vindicated. Was Noah vindicated? Yes, yes he was. Well, your baptism was the same evidence of this. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's, it's not just getting the dust off. That's legalism. You want to get the dust off? Try legalism. It doesn't work, but you can try it. If you want a good conscience that will make an appeal to God, have faith in Christ and be baptized. 
So our assurance is not in us cleaning our own lives up. Our assurance is through the resurrection, you see this, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right at the end of verse 21. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism, that is our assurance. So if Christ has not been raised, well then we have nothing. Right? But if Christ has been raised from the dead, you have far more than you could ever imagine. And we have this through faith in Christ and being baptized into Him and having our whole life in Christ and in Christ alone. What do we do? So Embrace your new life. Peter is holding before you. Embrace your new life as a sojourner, a stranger, that, that you're just passing through this world and this world is no longer your own, but in continue to engage the world around you. You guys are, you're great at this. What, just a member this week, one of you guys, uh, was at Target? Uh, someone from Saudi Arabia, they were in the Target parking lot and said, hey, is that building Target? And they said, yes, yes it is. Where are you from? From Saudi Arabia. Okay, have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? And through Google Translate, a man who God had providentially brought to Target in Rochester, from Saudi Arabia, was able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ through Google Translate. You guys continue to be faithful in doing this. Do not, do not let... Uh, do not let yesterday's faithfulness be an excuse for today's apathy. Continue to be faithful in all that you do. So ask yourselves, how, where am I falling short in this? And do, do I see the way the world relates to me and does it make me shudder in? Do I, do I not want to go in and engage the world? Will I not be vindicated by God? No. We can trust that God will vindicate us so we can continue to engage the world day after day, in encounter through encounter. We don't have to be passive and think that the world will be saved through this. No, we can continue to be active and engage the world and know that God will vindicate us. Whatever happens to us is going to be just fine because Christ is raised and raised from the dead. And we have been baptized into Him and into His resurrection. So we will be brought back to whom? To God and to Him forever. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... We have so many trials before us and with us and among us and behind us. And we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But God, we must, we must trust in you. And I pray that you would open our eyes to, to have the faith to see that you will bring us home and that you will vindicate us. And let us look to Christ and him crucified. And how you have raised him from the dead and brought him back to you. And let us have our hope lie in that. And not be concerned what the world around us thinks or anything like that. But God, let us be concerned and consumed with your fame and your glory. And let us tell it to everyone we meet. And when this city is not enough, let's go to the state. When this is not enough, let's go to the nations, God. And proclaim your glory. And know that when we suffer for this message, you will vindicate us. And bring us home to you to behold your glory. Amen.